0: If you are looking for something to do this weekend, how about some comedy?
1: I use the, uh, the word partner a lot, which sometimes can confuse people, like, especially when you have a conversation with somebody you don't really know. And at some point during that conversation, I can figure out that they just figured out that I'm not gay, and my partner is a woman, and the disappointment on their liberal faces when they figure it out because they they thought they were hearing a story about an interracial gay couple raising a child in Brooklyn. Oh, this is like an NPR story. This is great. This is great.
0: (laughs) That's Hurry Kondabolu performing his new comedy special, Vacation Baby. He's also on tour and has a couple of shows in Chicago at the Den Theater this weekend. And he joins us right now in studio to talk about that and much more. Hi, Hurry. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. So you made a little dig there at NPR. <laughs> but, you know, I want to set the record straight. You are an NPR regular. Yeah. And you love public radio, right?
1: I love public radio. Wink, wink. Yes, I love public radio. You can send your money to WBE's... <laughs> It's not the Pledge Drive now, is no, it? No, no, not this week. Uh, next week. Next, next week. week, of yeah, course. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and This isn't, of course, your first rodeo with WBEZ either. You are uh, a frequent guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes. Uh, you were recently featured on WBEZ's Shoes Off, a Sexy Asians yes. podcast, which was super cool. What was it like to be invited, you know, into the unofficial Sexy Asians club?
1: Uh, I mean, I'd had membership for years, <laughs> but it was, so it was nice to... <laughs> To finally have a podcast to get that out there. It's always nice to be, like, considered for things like that where you're having a really thoughtful conversation about being Asian-American. Because I'm still of that wave where that was not possible 20 years ago. Do You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I was of the generation that didn't have... Like that many media figures, and the idea that there's a whole podcast dedicated to it. Absolutely, of, I mean, you were alongside
0: the likes of Lisa Ling, yeah, and um, actor John Cho, and, and and several others. So that's a pretty cool platform.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, you know, they, they're privileged to be in the list with me. Yeah, exactly. Is what I'm telling myself right now. <laughs>
0: so you know, Chicago, right? Which is you're you're here in town this weekend. And this city holds a lot of comedy history. We yes. know this, right? It's a place where many comedians got their start. They built their foundation. Uh, it's also a city that you have performed in throughout many your times. career. So how would you say performing in Chicago compares to the other cities that you've you've been to?
1: Really smart comedy fans because they've seen many different types of comedy, whether it's improv or sketch or stand-up. And they get really quality performers, really smart performers um it's not like LA where you're trying to get on a TV show and it's not like New York which New York I think uh, can leave people jaded audiences can get be a little jaded cuz mm. there's just so much and you know not, you know a lot of the shows are not good because it's open mics and there's so many people trying Chicago I think really gives you the best and and you see it from who's come out of this city over the last decade in in all forms of comedy but you know, whether it's like Hannibal Bress and Kyle Kinane or Jenna Friedman or Kumail Nanjiani, like the, the list really goes on forever. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, we heard a little bit of your, your new comedy special, Vacation Baby, at the top there. Let's hear a bit more.
1: Me and my partner have had very different experiences being parents, and it was clear it was going to be different from day one. I remember she was holding the baby in her arms, and she was crying, and she looked at the baby, and then she looked at me, and she said, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. And I think she wanted me to say, me too. But the thing is, I have a Netflix special. And it's so good, like from beginning to end. Joke, 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 it's wonderful the whole way through. And, you know, I just met this kid, you know what I mean?
0: I- the jury is out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thanks. The Netflix special you're talking about there is, is Warn Your Relatives That's which right. is super funny, but in Vacation Baby, you talk a lot about that about becoming a new dad, yes. right? How has fatherhood changed you, you think?
1: I mean, I'm I'm definitely very apologetic to my parents, certainly. <laughs> and I think about how You're
0: hard. Like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Well,
1: all it's. I think it's easy for all of us to blame our parents for something they did or did not do in our youth. Like, you know, how come you didn't join me in Little League earlier? I could have been athletic. How come you didn't put me in therapy when I was in high school? Like, there's yeah. all these different things. I'm like. Because they didn't know anything about baseball and they didn't really know what therapy was, you know, Mm -hmm. as immigrants from another place where that wasn't a thing. So, you know, I think how hard it is to have one kid and they had two kids as people who were also discovering the country. You know, they're Indian people raising American kids and that is not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely that's one thing I've gotten out of this experience. In addition to I did not know and I know this is probably a hackneyed statement, that my heart had as much love as it has in it. Uh, I feel Uh. like I am still fairly cynical, but the kid forces you to have hope because you brought something into a world that is very complicated and scary and dangerous, and the only way to really live with that is knowing it's going to get better because you have to make it better. And I feel like that is certainly it has given me a degree of hope yeah for for him for you know that that's i love that it's a huge it's huge and i know I, and i realize like a lot of parents probably have the exact same experience the need to work harder and make things better because um they have children but, but I, you I you online.
0: don't understand that journey until you cross that no. finish line no right you even as a non-parent you heard other parents saying sure you know similar sentiments i'm sure but I'm, until it's your life right until you've actually taken that step
1: Oh, yeah, it's a very, you know, it just feels like, oh, it's cliche that everyone says. And then you're like, sometimes cliches are there because, you know, it doesn't mean that the actual experience isn't life changing. Like, tripping on acid can be seen as cliched, but people are still... Doing it and having very different experiences. Right. So I think the same th- I'm comparing drug use and having a child. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's a terrible comparison. Time to switch gears, <laughs> shall
0: we? <laughs> uh, so you, you're known for your your sharp observations of, of politics, race, other social issues. Uh, you often tackle stereotypes about Indian people. I'm Canadian, hurry. And in some ways, you kind of remind me of uh, Russell Peters out of Toronto. Some of his best jokes that we know over the years are about the ones about him being raised by immigrant parents. But you two have very different approaches. Oh, yeah. In how you tell the stories. So I want you to talk about that. Describe the differences.
1: You know, I I really love Russell, and I think he's a pioneering figure. Um, You know, he was the first comedian I ever saw who was of South Asian descent who made it. You know, even though he was in Canada and we grew up here, like, we still had the Internet, and you're watching these clips of this human. It just made you think, oh, this was possible. He and was huge. He was huge, and he's huge all over the world. You know, America, he's notable, but around the world, like, he basically spurred stand-up scenes all over the world because he played there, and it was really— Popular. I mean, we're different in, in that I think, you know, I I don't really do accents uh, w- w- of my parents, mm-hmm. partly because, you know, I always worry about how that's going to be taken. Are you laughing at the joke or laughing at them and what you think they're like? Also, I don't do accents well, so why would I even do that? Right. Um, and also, you know, I try to make, particularly with my mom, make her jokes knowing like i want i want her to be the one who's making the quip i don't want the laugh to be at her expense Uh, and that's not all the time certainly on this special i the names that she suggests you know like girarder for my child like you think girarder is going to be something that he can survive with in this country um but you know generally speaking though i want her to be in the position of power and maybe that's a difference just because i feel like they already don't have a voice they don't need their son going on stage and minimizing them even more
0: yeah You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with comedian Hurry Kondabolu. He's in town for a couple of shows at Chicago's Den Theater this weekend. So comedy, I want to touch on the fact that that's not the only world you're a part of. You also are involved in film, Uh, a new documentary that you're the executive producer of. It just premiered on PBS and World Channel. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Who's American and what is America. America is not just blonde hair and blue eyes. When somebody asks you,
1: "Where are you from?" you're just like, "Wait, what does that mean?"
0: So that's one of the artists and activists that the documentary is following. Yeah. How many times have you been asked that question? Where are you from?
1: You know what? It's it's nice that I haven't heard it in a while now. How do you respond? When I do hear it, you know, I'll, I'll say Queens, New York, and it depends on who's asking. Like, there are times where growing up in Queens, New York, when people asked, Where are you from? I wasn't insulted by it because everybody was from somewhere. Even white people who would ask me, Where are you from? I'd ask them where they were from, and they wouldn't say they were just white. They would give me a fraction of some sort, or they would say, Ireland. I've never been there, but like three generations or whatever. Like, there's always a connection. When I leave New York and I get asked that question, it's clear that I'm being othered, right? It's like, queens where are you really from it's like okay all right i get it you want to know the whole immigration backstory but when i ask you you're going to tell me some town outside of boston you know what i mean (laughs) that's that's the part where you realize that you're not being seen as as an american which is part of the reason why like this film meant so much to me and why i wanted to come on as an executive producer it's really that search for identity and respect and you know you're dealing with two countries the u.s and germany you have people who are You know, refugees, Roma, undocumented. Mm -hmm. There's a Sikh American who's other just by wearing a a turban and his experience. My friend Sonny, you know, Christina Antonakis Wallace worked on this film for over a decade. So these stories like you see them at different stages of their life and you and you see you know, the different conditions in those countries as the far right takes more control in in, in those countries, how immigrants are scapegoated and how that affects their lives personally. So, yeah. you know,
0: why do you want to be a part of the project?
1: I mean, I saw the film. It was a complete film. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't this out already? You know, it, it's incredibly relevant. And I think the context of immigration being a global issue is really important. We talk about it, you know, in these isolated ways, but it's a global issue and will continue to be one, especially with climate change and the idea of climate refugees. So, you know, we need to come to terms with this is the world. There's always been movement. There's always been migration. And it's really important for us to 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 not only humanize, but to complicate who people mm-hmm. are. Hum, human Humanizing somebody is, is a bare minimum, you know, the idea of them being multi-layered and relatable Mm -hmm. and connected to you and your community in some way that's the part that i think this film does extremely well
0: i love that it's also beautifully shot yes it looks good yes it's really good
1: i i'm really i think christina is a fabulous filmmaker and i'm so glad that she has this opportunity
0: so given what you just said then what's the biggest takeaway that you want folks if nothing else what do you want them to walk away with after watching from here
1: I mean, I want them to feel a sense of hope, you know, because the thing is these, the idea of being a refugee or being undocumented, the you know, the even on the left you know, amongst liberals, it's like they're seen as victims. And in this film, you see people who are resisting, resisting through organizing, resisting through art, like resisting by working with young people in schools, like educating, like really in the fight. And And I think that's important to see. These aren't people who are just... You know, uh, affected by the world around them and just have to take it. And it's really like empowering to see that.
0: You mentioned the word hope a few times in this conversation. Hope when you're talking about your child. Yeah. Hope when you're talking about this film. What else is keeping you hopeful?
1: I mean, people like AOC, certainly, people who I I feel like would never have gotten a shot. I see a lot of the people that the Justice Democrats have pushed in recent years. And You know, it just—it's weird to even say the Democrats because there's there's a a a movement of of people of color and women and queer folks who are breaking through to mainstream American politics and that represent the kind of values I believe in. And and those are those are things that I I, you wouldn't have seen not that long ago. And so that gives me a ton of hope, as well as talking to. Young people, there was a story in Florida where a teacher was brought to a school board because she showed a, a Disney film that had a gay character in it. So the existence of a gay person was seen as offensive and appropriate. And at that school board hearing with a bunch of really bigoted people, you heard children from that school eloquently, articulately expressing why this hurts them and it hurts their friends and how the adults should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. That gives me hope. And it's it's painful that this generation has to deal with that. But how articulate they were in expressing their frustration, the fact that they made the adults look like children, Mm -hmm. that gives me hope. That
0: next generation is something else.
1: absolutely.
0: You studied comparative politics. You were an immigrant organizer for for a little while at one point. You got this master's in human rights. I went
1: from one unlucrative thing to another unlucrative thing. And then this
0: this pivot to comedy. How, How did that happen?
1: I mean I was doing comedy in Seattle working at a, a nonprofit um that was run by Pramila Jayapal who's now a, a Congress uh woman from Seattle and a, a friend of mine and a mentor and I was working with victims of hate crimes people being deported and detained and I did comedy at night, and the comedy took off. Like, people were coming to my shows, and this was a time where there weren't really any South Asians in America in the public eye, especially in comedy, yeah. you know? And uh, it took off, and the next thing I know, I'm at a festival called HBO Comedy Festival. I'm on Jimmy I have work the next day, so I fly, and am on TV, Amazing. fly back, go to work. So comedy kind of came to me, and uh, I embraced it because I knew that, you know, for whatever reason, people – were interested, and it seemed like at least for this moment, I would be forced to be one of the first to broke through, which is not a comfortable position to be in. Yes, but I also knew. Is there knew, pressure? Of course, because every word back, especially a decade, fifteen years ago plus, it's like every word is um, is magnified because you're supposed to represent more people than yourself, which yeah. is incredibly unfair. And it's still there's a degree of that. But like now I see like, well, if you don't agree with me, we'll hear 10 other opinions. And there's so many South Asians in the media, whether it's in news or in film or TV. I mean, it's a it's a different era.
0: I want to touch on a documentary that you made of your own back in 2017 called The Problem with Apu. And it examined Hollywood's portrayal of South Asians, uh, like uh, Indian Simpsons character Apu, who we know is voiced by comedian Hank Azaria, who is a white guy. Um, Now, he declined to be a part of your documentary, but he did stop voicing the character just a couple years after uh, the doc came out. You two recently appeared together on NPR's Code Switch. It was that First public conversation about it. Here's a little bit of him talking about how the doc helped him realize the harm that the character caused.
1: Some moment during all this, I read a little news blurb where a guy was attacked. It was actually a Middle Eastern guy who was attacked in his store and was called Apu Mm -hmm. while he was being attacked. There were certain key moments in that whole, is this real question journey I was on where I got the answer. You know, Apu had become a slur.
0: Hearing Hank talk about that, did it feel like a full circle moment for you?
1: I mean, in a way, because we definitely had met previously in private and talked about it. But for him to want to do a public conversation where we really dug deep, um, yeah, it was. and it, and it, And it still feels great thinking about it now because it's also the beginning of a friendship because this is a person who is really... Working towards analyzing his own privilege and power dynamics, and is learning about racism, wants to be part of an anti-racist movement. So you're friends now. We're friends, yeah. Okay. Which I'm, I'm very, you know, appreciative of. I mean, one thing in the interview that was really important to me was he acknowledged the role that the film played in changing his thinking. Because for a long time, he would talk about how I don't think the voice uh, should be done by me anymore. South Asians should be in the room. He was saying all these great things. But it's almost as if he just magically came to this conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. And so often people of color are not given the the due that they deserve. Like, I'm the one who got the hundreds of thousands of death threats. I'm the one who had to get extra security at shows. You know, it, I think it was, wow. a, you know, I, I, I don't think he got a pass, but I certainly don't think it was nearly, you know, that hard compared to like, ah, this, I can't enjoy my life. Yeah. And so- you know, when he didn't mention the work I'd done, it was, initially I'm like, well, it's part of a larger movement. It's, you know, and then you start to think, well, no, because there's so many people of color who deserve the credit for the things they've written, the things they've performed, the things they've said, the things they've designed that get co-opted and taken. And yeah. we treat somebody else like a genius. And so I was appreciative that he finally publicly said that because, you know, it, it it's – it's still a, an annoying thing yeah. that I made this film about how I hated being associated with Apu, and as a result of it, I'm forever going to be associated with, with Apu. Apu. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you can focus on the funny this weekend here in Chicago. You're yeah. performing live tonight, yes. and tomorrow night at the Den Theater, back-to-back shows. Yeah. We were just chatting before we went on air. You said four <laughs> shows in two days. Four
1: shows in two days, which is which is standard practice and... Comedy clubs like you do an early and a late. And you got to keep your energy up. Oh my god! I mean, when I was 25, it was one thing, but now it's like between shows, there's not enough time to nap. <laughs> I honestly need to build naps into the contract now. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's still it's still a blast, and uh, you know the late shows I get a bit more loopy, yeah. and in the early shows you see me at my sharpest. <laughs> so you get two different experiences. <laughs> yeah,
0: it'll all be amazing. I'm sure you can catch comedian Hurry Kondabolu at Chicago's Den Theater tonight tomorrow Tomorrow. For tickets, visit the dentheater.com. That's theater ending with an R E, of course. Hurry, thank you so much for stopping by and good thank luck you. with the shows.
1: I appreciate it.